time ago, an American airplane dropped one bomb on Hiroshima. Ich bin ein Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this. people I think is good people they are they have not to charge with the guilty of all the lies. welcome back to the cold war show big boy thank you how's yes. how's that yes. middle how's that middle finger going uh doesn't smell right now all good all good <laughs> sorry how was like that yeah uh, good. I'd like to give a shout out to uh, if he's listening, Professor Edward Watts's uh, son. Yes. Uh, Professor Edward Watts was a guest on our Caesar show recently, and we had a bit of a lovely email exchange backwards Classic. and forwards afterwards. And yes. he said he's got a son who's uh, really into the Cold War. Was going to listen to our show, and I said, "Hey, uh, gotta warn you. <laughs> warning. Yeah. Warning. This show can get pretty nasty." And he said, well, oh, my son will love it. He'll love it then. He's into that. Uh, he said, you know, I said there's a lot of swearing, dirty jokes, mature humor. And he right. said, oh, it can't be anything different to what he hears around our house. And I was like, Ch- I was thinking, I didn't. Challenge I was thinking, accepted. Really, you, yeah. you talk a lot about, uh, I don't know, <laughs> Churchill and Stalin getting naked, greasing up and butt-fucking each other right. in the back rooms of the altar conference. Really? Is that, yeah. is that the is kind that, of talk that goes on in your house? Because if it is. are you? Right, right. I want to right. move in. I yeah. mean, that sounds like my kind yeah. of household. Get an extra room for us. Yeah. <laughs> I want to start uh, this episode. We're, we're still talking about the Korean War. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to. I want to start by talking about the No Gun Re Massacre. Right. Um, Ironically titled. We, yes. Yes, because there were lots of guns involved. We have yeah. to. We have to go go back a few months in our timeline mm-hmm. uh, here, because uh, I only just discovered this. I only just learned about it because, yeah. not surprisingly, doesn't turn up in uh, your Western history books about the Korean New. War. Right. Partly because it only really came to light in 1999, although it was known about. Um, just uh, denied up right. until uh, right. the early 2000s. Um, you know, we've talked uh, over the course of the Korean series uh, of the brutalities mm-hmm. that uh, both the North and the South were accused of. Um, well, this is an instance where there was brutality very early on in the Korean War uh, by American troops. Right. Uh, against uh, civilians and South Korean civilians, and yeah. you know this this is not this is before the Vietnam War. This is you know before you know the Korean War had gone on for you know years as it eventually did. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is quite quite early on, but I, like I think it's um, fascinating for a number of reasons. It gives us a sense of you know sort of uh, not only how the uh, Americans could be just as brutal as any of the other participants in the conflict, but also the way that it was denied by the Americans for 50 years until some intrepid journalists uh, got enough eyewitness testimonies from Mm -hmm. South Korean survivors and Americans uh, uh, who were there to to make it undeniable. Yeah. 
so on July 25th, 1950, North Korean forces seized the town of Yongdong, uh, which is you know one of your old nicknames I remember <laughs> on various internet forums from back in the day. But Right, now it's hung low. Go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> Yongdong is about seven miles or 11 kilometres west of a place called Nogunri. Mm-hmm. U.S. troops were uh, evacuating nearby villages. So July 25th, this is about uh, a month into right. the the invasion. I think the, the original, you know, and I've said before, we can't call it an invasion because you can't invade your own country. The uh, excursion, the day trip, right. the uh, civil holiday, war. the sightseeing, sightseeing, right. the yeah. civil war, okay. Uh, I think the, the North crossed over the 38th parallel on the 28th of June, so this is about a month later. U.S. troops were evacuating nearby villages, and there was hundreds of residents from towns called Chugokri and Imkeri. Mm-hmm. And these villages sort of join like this big village, uh, this, this refugee train uh, of right. people that are just walking south, I guess, trying to keep ahead of uh, the forces from the north. Mm-hmm. And um, on July 25th, it was about, it's estimated about 600 refugees spent the night by a riverbank near a village called Ha Ri, which is a few miles west of Nogunri. Mm-hmm. And then apparently uh, about seven villagers strayed from the group during the night and US soldiers killed them. Not exactly right. sure why. Uh, whether or not they thought they were going to go and leak information to the north or whether they thought they were, you know, guerrillas from the north or soldiers from the north, something happened and they shot Right. And if I could real quick, just to give a, a glimpse into the American mindset at this point, we know that the war is not going well for the Americans and just a day or two before this this moment in time, the Americans had heard that a North Korean unit had broken through nearby, so the Americans retreat, regroup, kind of dig themselves in, so they're already expecting something really bad. And we already know the, and, and again, this is not excusing it, but but their mindset is, oh my God, we're screwed and they're hypersensitive. And so, yeah, when these seven people separate from these 600 mass, I think they automatically assume, aha, you are not, in fact, refugees you are or either you're spying for them or maybe you are a north korean soldier and so yeah they were shot outright as far as i know without any questioning they were just shot yeah and as we've talked about in earlier episodes there does seem to have been a deliberate strategy on behalf of the north where they would Mm -hmm. dress up their soldiers as civilians refugees and have them marching down the street providing cover for the the troops that were coming behind. So I can understand that the Americans were uh, touchy, edgy, uh, if they'd encountered this before. Then on the next morning, the 26th of July, villagers found that the soldiers, the US troops, had left. So they just Mm. continued down the road and then ended up getting stopped by American troops at a roadblock near Nogunri, where they were ordered onto some railroad tracks where they were searched. Uh, The US soldiers confiscated their belongings, including knives and things like that they had with them. 
Right. And then, according to one U.S. veteran who was there, they were instructed to fire on everything, kill them all. Right. And um, planes were strafing at the same time. Yeah, well... Along the railroad The story track. seems yeah, to sorry. be that the refugees were spread out along the railroad embankment around about the middle of the mm-hmm. day when U.S. military aircraft just came in, strafed and bombed them. Yes. A, um, a guy who was a 10-year-old boy at the time, Young Hei Chan, uh, talking about it to journalists in 1999, said that the planes kept returning. Uh, right. Just shooting, bombing, napalming. Chaos broke out among the refugees. He said, we ran around wildly trying to get away. He said he and another survivor um, saw soldiers reappear and um, begin shooting the wounded on the tracks. Mm-hmm. Uh, so survivors tried to hide underneath these um, railway tracks in like a culvert underneath them, but um, soldiers uh, shot at them from there. They ran into a tunnel beneath a concrete railroad bridge and then they were machine gunned by 7th Cavalry troops from both sides of the bridge. Another survivor, Park Sun Yong, whose four-year-old son and two-year-old daughter were killed and she was badly wounded, later said, children were screaming in fear and adults were praying for their lives and the whole time they never stopped shooting. Um... Two U.S. communication specialists, Larry Levine and James Crum, said they remembered orders to fire on the refugees coming to the 2nd Battalion command post from a higher level, probably, they thought, from the 1st Cavalry Division. Um, They said they recall it being a frenzy of small arms fire. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some other veterans recalled frontline company officers ordering them to fire, an ex-rifleman. Herman Patterson said it was assumed there were enemy in these people. Another guy, Thomas Hatcher uh, of the 1st Battalion who was uh, nearby said they were dying down there. I could hear people screaming. Uh, The refugees began piling up bodies as uh, barricades and tried to dig into uh, or dig holes in the ground to hide. Um, some managed right. to escape that first night, but the U.S. troops were turning searchlights on the tunnels, kept firing, according to Chung Ku Ho, whose mother died trying to shield him and his sister from the gunfire. Um, by the second mm-hmm. day, they were still doing it, but it apparently it had been the gunfire had been reduced to pot shots, um, you know, when they were hunting down refugees. Um, some survivors also said planes returned the second day, firing rockets and dropping bombs. Uh, survivors Jeez. were reduced to drinking blood-filled water from a small stream running under the bridge. Um, so, you know, look, I can understand maybe shooting men that they thought were communists in disguise, but... The women and the mm-hmm. children bit is pretty hard to justify by any sort of measure, unless you you can think of something. 
no, I can't. And also, when I first started going over this, I thought, oh, my God, that must have been a horrible afternoon. No, this went on for three days. I mean, they were methodically going through piles of body, looking for survivors, looking for wounded, and trying to finish them off. That's the part, besides the women and children, that I don't understand. Clearly, you've broken this formation if it had been an enemy formation. And declassified Army intelligence reports show that the enemy front line was two miles or more from No Gun Re on July 28th, right. the third day of the massacre. So, you know, it's it's a bit of a stretch to think that uh, these were mm-hmm. enemy combatants. Uh, on the night of the third day of the massacre, July 28th, the 7th Cavalry messaged their headquarters saying no important contact has been reported by a 2nd Battalion. Right. No mention of the killing of the refugees, at least in documents that have survived. Yeah. Um, On the morning of July 29th, the 7th Cavalry uh, Regiment withdrew from No Gun Re, and later that day, North Korean soldiers arrived, helped those who were still alive, about two dozen people, mostly children, fed them, sent them back to their villages... Mm-hmm. The earliest published accounts of the killings from August and September 1950, two North Korean journalists who were with the North Korean troops estimated finding 400 bodies in the Nogunri area, including 200 seen in one tunnel. The yeah. survivors generally estimated the death toll at about 400. Um, but as I said earlier, the... General public, particularly in the West, didn't hear about this until 1999 when it was published in the media by uh, three journalists, Sung Hong Cho, Charles Hanley and Martha Mendoza. They later Mm -hmm. wrote a book about it, which I read, um, uh, and won a Pulitzer for their reporting on it. Right. Now... um, the Associated Press also at the time published declassified military documents showing that U.S. commanders had issued standing orders to shoot civilians so as yes. not to risk infiltration by disguised enemy soldiers. Yeah, they said if if there's a, a mass of enemy troops, or excuse me, if there's a mass or whatever of refugees coming right at the soldiers at your formation, then that is when you start firing because obviously we don't want to fall, fall for this again. So they did have orders. I think one was from a, let me look here, was from a um, um, Major General Hobart R. Gay. So they did have orders, but you're right, over the ensuing decades, a lot of that paperwork has disappeared because the military loves to document everything so yeah like it it does seem to follow that these guys were given orders just to kill all of the civilians uh, and make sure Mm -hmm. there were no survivors including children yeah which i mean i don't know how you bring yourself to do that i mean i i i can imagine myself You know, as an occupying invading force in a scary country, as a young man being attacked, um, you know, uh, particularly not a lot of training um, in a foreign land, people speaking a foreign language or very scary, uh, losing my shit and, and, you know, killing civilians if I thought they were... You know, disguised enemy combatants, but kids, women, kids, yeah. uh, 
I d- I'm not sure I could yeah. uh, bring myself to do that under any circumstances, you know. Yeah, um, shooting into a crowd is one thing. When it's day three and you're walking around kicking bodies, trying to see if anybody moves or if anyone's still alive, you've lost me there. And again, clearly your military objective of guaranteeing your safety has been accomplished. This is beyond that. I, I don't even know what words to use. So uh, when this came out in 1999, um, the Pentagon did an investigation into it finally. Um, mm-hmm. in the year 2000 and the veterans of the 7th Cavalry that they interviewed estimated that the dead at Nogunri ran from you know dozens to up to 300 um, right. Homer Gaza who was a career soldier who was there mm-hmm led a patrol through one tunnel, reckons he saw two to 300 bodies piled up there. In 2005, the South Korean government uh, put together a thing called Committee for the Review and Restoration of Honour for the No-Gun-Re Victims, spent a year verifying Mm -hmm. claims through family registers, medical reports, other documentation. Uh, They certified the names of 150 dead, 13 missing, 55 wounded, um, and, and and some of those then later died of their wounds. It's said, though, that right. reports weren't filed on many of the victims because of, you know, the passage of time and what was going on at the time. I mean, you know, it was very sure. hard to... Yeah. For the next few years, very hard to, to get anything done. And then, you know, if you lived in the South, the re-dictatorship was reinstated, uh, you know. Um, yes. As we'll see later and in the so- next few episodes. Right. Um, and the survivors kept their mouths shut because they knew better. So, and yeah, under the re government, under the re government, and uh, you know, it was a U.S. government. Really, it was a U.S. puppet government, as everyone knew, both sure. in the South and the North. Um, yeah. Now, the thing is, uh, you know, they have documentation now um, through um, stuff that's been declassified to know that news about the refugee killings actually reached U.S. command in Korea and the Pentagon by August of 1950. Yes. There was a captured North Korean military document that was translated that reported the discovery of the massacre. A South Korean Mm -hmm. agent for U.S. Counterintelligence Command at the time confirmed the North Korean account with local villagers. Um... And high-level knowledge of it seems to have been around. It appeared in a New York Times article from Korea in September 1950 that reported that an unnamed high-ranking U.S. officer told the reporter of the panicky shooting of many civilians by a U.S. Army regiment in July. Yeah. But uh, there's no evidence that either the high command in Korea, MacArthur's people, or the Pentagon made any effort to investigate it at the time. Um, yeah, that's loyalty. That's team loyalty. You don't, you don't call it. What, what's um, Reagan's 11th commandment? I don't know the exact wording, uh, but you basically you don't tell on your own people. You don't criticize your own people. And that sounds like what's going on here. Listen, George Bush Sr., I will never, when they, when you guys shot down the, Libyan aircraft or whatever it was, uh, civilian uh-huh. aircraft in the late 80s, said, I will 
I will never apologize for America. Right. Something like that. Now, what got me now, you know, you quit, you quoted all these, um, these committees that were in South Korea and the reporters and the investigations. But what really got me was when Norman Tinkler, who was a machine gunner for the seventh cavalry Marines, he said, when he was asked, we just annihilated them. I mean, he was, they was given an order and they started firing and they were told to get rid of them all. And they spent three days just trying to do exactly that. And so when you have an American soldier just go, yeah, no, it, it happened pretty much just like you said it did, or you think it did. I mean, that, that really, that really shook me. I mean, it must have just been a hellacious moment for everybody. But now the Army has to cover it up, and it sounds like they did for a couple of decades. Five decades. Five decades, Just yeah. a couple. Five decades. Mm. Um, but after decades, five decades of, of ignoring or dismissing the allegations, the U.S. Army finally acknowledged in the early 2000s that the U.S. military had killed, quote, an unknown number of South Korean refugees at no gunry with small arms fire, artillery and mortar fire and strafing. Mm -hmm. However, it claimed and continues to claim that no orders were issued to fire on the civilians. Right. And that the shootings were the result of hostile fire from among the refugees. Mm. Uh, Hard to believe. Like what? So yeah. from the kids, like the yeah. kids were all armed with uh, machine guns. Right. Um, at another point, the army suggested that the soldiers may have misunderstood the uh, Eighth Army's stop refugees order to mean that they could be shot. Right. Uh, that's not how uh, way orders work. That's that's not how the way it works <laughs> in the army. Sorry, sorry. Go ahead. It. Yeah. It also described the deaths as an unfortunate tragedy inherent to war and not a deliberate killing. Uh, now, we accidentally uh, shot all those children's uh, commander. Yeah. yeah. The Army report also dismissed the testimony of its own soldiers who said right. they remembered getting orders to shoot. Yeah. Because, the army said, none could remember the wording or the officer that they got it from or remembered having received the order directly himself. In 2001, Bill Clinton said he deeply regretted what had happened but didn't apologise for it. Um, So after decades of dismissing claims that it happened... The U.S. Army finally, at least officially, confirmed it through Clinton, but uh, right. denied that it was d- a deliberate, uh, you know, result of orders. But you know, I think this is just—I um, mean, this is classic America, man. Like uh, committing atrocities and uh, then just denying it for decades, covering it up, denying it, and finally, even when it comes out, trying to spin it. Oh well, yeah, okay, it did happen, right. but um, you know, it wasn't not the way you said. It was an accident, right? Right. Yeah, of course, nobody. Yeah. yeah. As a result, nobody yeah. was uh, prosecuted, punished. No, yeah. you know, um, no. Uh, like we're going through this in Australia at the moment. There's, there's a big right. investigation that's going on here for many months about atrocities committed by Australian troops in Afghanistan. Um, mm. You know, because it's right. it's important that uh, people who, if they're responsible for these sorts of atrocities, uh, 
are penalised for it and it doesn't get normalised in our military that you can do this kind of stuff and, and walk away from it unscathed. Right. Well, it's, there's a difference between I'm in a war, I participated in a war and it got ugly and civilians got killed and I'm sorry that happened, that just happens in war versus our people can do no wrong. Why, why do we have to be morally superior to everyone all the time, because then you're just digging yourself into a hole that you can't get out of. And yeah, you're going to have to lie for five decades. And it's eventually going to come out. All this stuff, you know, does eventually come out. But it's trying to claim the moral high ground that, that confuses me. Just be honest. But that's just not the way we work, at least in this country. I'm sure other countries are the same as well. But we cannot be flawed, not unlike our founding fathers uh, in any way. Yeah, look, and, and we, we tend to associate um, this kind of atrocities by American troops with Vietnam in particular. Yes. Um, and yes. there's We're been similar stories come out of yeah. Afghanistan and Iraq, et cetera, et cetera. But, so it goes way back. It goes back way further than Vietnam. It goes back at least to Korea. And this is just one story that happened to get uncovered by journalists 50 years right. later. How many other of these incidents happened, yeah. incidences happened in Korea that we, we just don't know about because they got buried, covered up, and no one ever did? We, we don't really know. Um, anyway, right. so that's the No Gun Re Massacre story. Um, Dougie Mack, meanwhile, as we said at the end of our last episode, has his big genius idea to <laughs> land an inch yes. on and literally Brilliant. everyone thinks it's a bad idea, a VBI, a very bad idea. Right. <laughs> but he gave a big speech. Right. But he, yeah. He apparently went yeah. on for 45 minutes. Well, I thought MacArthur's um, point of view was, was absolutely brilliant. He's like, see, all of you are against me. I'm the only one who's thinking this is going to work. Maybe I'm a little crazy, but because everybody thinks it's undoable, that's exactly why it's going to work. You've got to trust me on this. I'm feeling the jazz. I'm like the A-team. you just got to trust me on this. It's going to work fine. Trust me. Hey, it's me. Yeah, I like his whole argument was, it's so crazy, it just might work. <laughs> Which you got to love. Aha, million to uh, one. Yeah, yeah. So he gave, he gave this big speech um, to the Joint Chiefs of Staff, etc., etc., Part of it I have here, he said, it is plainly apparent that here in Asia is where the communist conspirators have elected to make their play for global conquest. The Ooh. test is not in Berlin or Vienna, in London, Paris or Washington. It is here and now. It is along the Naktong River in South Korea. Nice. And then the it's so crazy, it just might work argument. The very arguments you have made as to the impracticabilities involved will tend to ensure for me the element of surprise. For the enemy commander will reason that no one would be so brash as to make such an attempt. I can almost hear the ticking of the second hand of destiny. We must act now or we will die. We shall land at Inchon and I shall crush them pretty good it's like a aaron sorkin level uh speech you know it's or oliver stone anyway we must act now or we will die afterwards apparently the chief of naval operations stood up Hello. and said general 
the Navy will get you to Inchon. And that's nice. He, he was the original drama queen. Uh, there's no doubt of that. Now, MacArthur's speech is fine. That's no problem. I love good hysterics or whatever, but what matters is what Truman wants. But not everyone in the room was convinced. A couple of them continued to try and talk him out of it. Right. But it wasn't a complete rejection. Um, and, you know, as far as Dougie Mac was concerned, anything other than an outright no was still a yes. In <laughs> fact, right. I have a recording yeah. of uh, his response to them oh. when they uh, were trying goodness. to talk him out of it. I came a long way just to see you, Mary. Just least you can do is level with me. What are my chances? Not good. <laughs> you mean not good like one out of a hundred? I'd say... More like one out of a million. So you're telling me there's a chance. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> the glasses have full, brother. That's what I'm always telling you. Unless she's yeah. pushing me off, I yeah. figure it's go time. Yeah. That's all it's I'm saying. because I wrote yeah. in my notes, so, it's kind of like your him. approach to women, Ray. If it isn't a no, then it's a yes. <laughs> See, I know you that well. I know you that well. <laughs> Oh, and I apologize. I apologize every day for that. Uh, again, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, he got his way. So now that the White House has not stood up to MacArthur, uh, probably because of his uh, great uh, hero worship that he, that he earned during World War II, the White House doesn't say anything. And so on August 28th, um, the Joint Chiefs of Staff give this their blessing. The Inchon Landing will go forward. This is going to be, hopefully, as far as MacArthur is concerned, one of the, uh, another great moment in his professional life. But... Maybe. The Joint Chiefs also covered their asses. They, they got Truman to sign off on the plan. So they didn't have to. Yes. Uh, but they did because this is their ballywick. But they yeah. got him to sign off. So if uh, shit hits right. the fan, they're not, they're not carrying the can. Yeah. If shit hits yeah. the fan, I don't carry <laughs> the can. Yeah. Coffee mug. Yeah, well, Coffee Truman mug. did yeah. have that yeah. little thing on his desk saying the buck stops here. So uh, That's right. Um, they're That's replacing right. the one that he had earlier, which was uh, for when they dropped the A bombs, yeah. which was for the, a buck, good time. the buck stops over oh, there. Oh right, right. Um, that guy. Yeah, <laughs> right, I, I didn't. It wasn't right. my call. I, I just said you guys. You know, you yeah. do whatever you think. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's uh, not on me. Yeah. Well, what have I got to do with? It? I'm just the president. I don't know about yeah. these things. He, he should have said, I only dropped the first one. Uh, that was on. The second was, one, no, yeah, yeah. I would have tried something. <laughs> that was somebody else. That was on somebody else. Sadly, My in lawyer the three told years me to say that. that the U.S. Yes. had occupied Korea, uh, no right. one had actually bothered to survey the country. So they had no idea. Oh, <laughs> is that important? So they had no right. idea about the geography of the country, including... The dimensions of Geography. the Inchon Basin and, and what they were going to be facing when they got there. Now, that's what you read in the history books, yeah. but I did some digging, uh, scrolling through old newspapers. Right. The New York Times in particular. Right. And I found a story from July 1949 in the New York Times that says a US cruiser and two destroyers landed in Inchon. 
mm-hmm. in July of 1949 for a three-day goodwill visit. Sure. Uh, which was basically, hey, uh, we're occupying your country now. Um why don't you... Sh- right. Yeah, give us Where a little the puntang. Where's, where's the good right. will? Sorry. <laughs> where's the drugs? Where's the hookers? Uh, or else, you know, things could get nasty. But if they if right. they landed right. a US cruiser and two destroyers at Inchon, if they sailed them in, they must have known a little bit about what the harbour was like to, to sail those ships in, right? In, in my defence, Your Honour... Uh, it was a good day. The tide just happened to be up. I was shit-faced. I just did a line of coke off of Wusong's ass. I don't really remember that day, and I didn't write anything down, so I'm going to have to plead ignorance and cocaine on this one, Your Honor. They don't, they don't, re- they don't remember anything. Or they but they sailed down. ships in there, so they knew they could do it. I yeah. don't know. Anyway, so the point is, for yeah. whatever reason, they decided yes. to send in a man to take some measurements. Now, this guy is a complete badass. U.S. Naval Officer Lieutenant Eugene Clark. Nice name. It is a nice name. Did you read up on Eugene Clark's story? No, fucking tell me. I'm ready. I got the popcorn. Let's Um, go. He wrote a book um, about it, which I read. Um, But, you know, Mm -hmm. they're just like, "Uh, Gene, here is your mission, (laughs) should you choose to accept it. (laughs) (coughs) Uh, grab your measuring tape and your really? little uh, survey. No, the big one. Your little the, survey. The big one. <laughs> yeah, the big... <laughs> Matter of fact, you might need two. Get your little surveying Ta- tripod thing, right. you know, whatever that little camera oh, yeah, thing yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, and, um, yeah. Put it over your shoulder. Yeah. We're going right. to just parachute yeah. you into enemy territory and want you to just take some measurements. Uh, yeah, typical Tuesday. get back to us. He wrote a book right. in 1951 yeah. called The Secrets of Inchon, but interestingly, Ooh. never tried to publish it. Then he died in oh. 1998. His family found it in a safe deposit box and published it posthumously in 2002. Badass. Isn't Are it? you leaving anything in a safe deposit box? Yeah. Just curious. I am. Uh, <laughs> some videotape. Yeah, I, I deposit <laughs> something in a safe deposit box uh, every Tuesday. <laughs> No, I didn't say sperm bank. I said, Never oh, mind. Don't right. worry about it. Particularly, go, go <laughs> as you know, I'm getting the snip in a couple of weeks. The snip. My snip. The, yes. My my older boys keep yeah. saying, you know, you gotta put some in a cup, man. You might. You never know. You right. might need it later on. I was like, listen, you want to know why I'm getting the snip? Just look in the mirror. That's like That's the world right. doesn't need you, any more of this. Yo, really, quite you're frankly. <laughs> Killing me, yeah. kids! I'm gonna go Look at my cut hair. the lifeline. Look at my hair. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, this guy Clark and yes. is about us. He and two Korean translators, right, uh, were dropped on Yonghangdo, uh, an island about a dozen miles from Incheon, mm-hmm. which they used as their base. They spent two weeks there. Ooh surveying the whole area, living on as little as two hours sleep a day, fighting off communist assaults. Nope, I'm out. Um, cap- capturing enemy harbour craft, interrogating captives, who, by the way, confirmed that uh, MacArthur was right, that the North Koreans apparently had no idea that Incheon was a potential target <laughs> right. for landing at right. this stage. They, they obtained exact information on the size of the city's garrison, 
Um, they went into the city harbour in the in the middle of the night to measure the height of the sea walls. Damn. To determine whether or not troops and vehicles could get across the mud flats at low tide. To pinpoint the locations of dozens of machine gun nests and artillery emplacements on the fortress island of Walmy Do, which was at the mouth of the harbour. Now, uh, is a good name, and they actually, while they were there, they did, you know, they had some spare time one night. They right. they wrote a song <laughs> about the island, Shit. which I'm now going to play for you on my trusty Honer. Harmonica that I bought in, um, it was either Salt Lake City. No, I think it was Cedar City, right. Utah. Yeah. About 10 years ago, I bought this little harmonica to, you know, because I, I was buying cowboy stuff. Oh, yeah. I got a cowboy hat. Face. I bought cowboy boots. Right. And I thought, well, what else does every cowboy have? <laughs> That's a good point. A harmonica. What, what am I going to play when I'm making grits over a campfire? Love grits. Uh, chasing off the coyotes. You were a rhinestone cowboy. All right, I got you. I got you. Here we go. Human excrement. Every song should have some of that in there. Anyway. <laughs> Finally. Yes. On the uh, night of the invasion, um, right. Clark turned on the lamp in the lighthouse. Sure. On the nearby island of Palmydo. It was a sequel. All right. It was a follow-up song. He tried to he basically just ripped off. The same thing and tried to put out a second single right. of Palmy Do. <laughs> didn't work. <laughs> didn't know. People saw right through Too many it. times like, to the whale. Dude, just, exactly. Yeah, you're just rehashing. Yeah. You're just rehashing. Don't, don't do that. We get it. We get it. Don't <laughs> do that. Um, turn on the lighthouse to guide the armada up the channel to Inchon. Right. Like this guy's fucking James Bond. I gotta yes. give this guy credit. Predator. Like, absolutely. Yeah. 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 <laughs> like, oh my god, what a badass. Anyway, the opening to his book is pretty cool. I wanted to read a section from it. Um, right. It says, On August 26, 1950, I was summoned to the office of Captain Edward Pierce, USN, in the Daiichi Insurance Building in downtown Tokyo, mm-hmm. overlooking Emperor Hirohito's Imperial Palace. For the past year, I'd been serving under Captain Pierce on General Douglas MacArthur's staff. Gene, Eddie Pierce said in his gruff, deadpan way, I believe we've cooked up a little rumble you're going to like. No, thank you. That's it. Yeah. A little rumble. Just you're a little. Like. We've cooked up something for yeah. you. A little bit of fun. A little bit of a Should've... little bit of a day day trip. <laughs> day. Excursion. Should have said Rambo, because that's what he's gonna end up doing. Living in the jungle for two yeah. weeks, knifing oh, things. So yeah. whatever. Yeah. Fucking Rambo, yeah. Yeah. He writes I was not completely surprised by Eddie Pierce's proposition. Since the war in Korea began, I'd been working in the geographic branch of General MacArthur's staff, gathering information about tides, terrain, 
and landing facilities at various ports along both coasts of South Korea. Right. I had participated in amphibious operations during World War II, notably on Okinawa, the last big battle of the Pacific War, and knew what was needed to make a successful landing on an enemy-held shore. I and other members of my research team had scoured every possible source, from old Japanese studies to aerial photography taken during World War II, and had come up with very little that was reliable about either Korean coast. Yeah, what about the fucking guys that landed there a few years ago for a rub and tug, man? Like, you <laughs> didn't talk to them? They don't count. Again, a rub and tug trip? Again, <laughs> cocaine cancels memory. We've been over this. Anyway. The port was on Korea's west coast, 180 miles north of the Pusan perimeter. If anything went wrong at Incheon, the American attackers, oh, American attackers right. would be in serious danger yes. of being flung back into the sea with horrendous casualties. Yeah. The fighting men around Pusan were too far away to give them any support. From my preliminary research, I already knew that the approach to Incheon was complicated, complicated by tides that rose and fell 29 feet in a 24-hour period. Damn. Leaving miles of mud flats, some extending 6,000. You, you you like some mud flats. I, know. I, oh, yeah. I got some I on my, in my yeah. car. Continue. Yeah, like yeah. I've got... Uh, oh, you got uh, that? <laughs> that's not the Oh, they're same. mud flaps, <laughs> not mud flats. Uh, that's what we call oh. We call them mud flaps here in Australia. Do you I, call them mud flaps I, over there? I don't, but then again, I'm a Southern gentleman, so and right. a closet gay, so I would know what to call them. So, anyway, <laughs> really, you clo- you think you're closeted? I don't think. I think anyone. nobody suspects a thing. Continue. <laughs> <laughs> Leaving miles of mudflats, some extending six thousand yards from the shoreline at low water. Damn. I know we've gone to the limit in researching this matter. I said. So I take it that a little personal look-see trip is in order. Is that correct, Captain? Damn, little look-see. A little look-see. Yeah. little look-see. Yeah. Yeah. So he accepted the mission and lied to his wife about where he was going. Sure. As you do in the long tradition of (laughs) men lying to their wives about... Anything. Everything. Yeah. 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 Interestingly, the, the two Korean translators that he took with him he didn't tell them about the true nature of the trip. Well, you can't trust them. They thought it was just recon. Well, you can't trust your own allies, really? You can't. Not really, really. I mean, okay, I'm going to whisper this so no one else can hear it. They all look the same. You can't. You don't know who. Come on. That's, that's a Spycraft 101. You can't trust. You don't know who to trust, so you don't trust anyone. Not even his wife. I'm sorry for interrupting. Well, like, you know, I think you're right. He obviously didn't trust them. It was probably on a need-to-know basis, but... Exactly. Um, she did not need to know. Uh-huh. Well, I'm talking about no, his uh, Korean colleagues, but yeah. Them too. Um, Gene uh, confirms what we've previously said about the South's approach to the war, by the way. He wrote, The Republic of Korea was waging total war against the Reds, admitting of no compromise, Mm -hmm. utterly ruthless in her determination to expel the enemy and bring the nation together again under one flag. Korea was fighting this war under Oriental rules, with no pretense of observing the fast-becoming outmoded humanitarian laws of warfare established by Western conventions, right? except when they were shooting children under a bridge. Other than that. Um, Yes. Other than that. Yeah. Um, 
And as, so, like, just confirming again that it wasn't just the North that wanted to unite the country under one flag and that was waging total war. Right. The South was as well. And as we will see, after MacArthur drives the North back up north of the 38th parallel, he decides that he's going to oh. reunite the country as well. Yeah. So everyone wanted to reunite the country. It's just that the North got started before everyone right. else did. Yeah, they jumped across the um, line. No pun intended. Or, right? uh, you know, as, as we said in the uh, during those episodes, by their account, it was the South that attacked them over the 38th parallel first. Which they did. So they yes. so they responded. Yeah, a couple so, miles, yeah. too. They, they actually penetrated yeah. a couple miles. I'm trying to remember now exactly, but yeah. No, this is nothing new. Yeah. This is just a bigger on a bigger scale. <clears throat> yeah. So anyway, his mission, Eugene Clark's mission, uh, confirmed the Navy's worst fears about the mud, the shallow water expending miles offshore, right. the high harbour wall that they were going to have to get up when they landed. Yeah. But what historians know now that mm-hmm. the US military didn't know at the time right. was this really wasn't a risky proposition at all. Right. Because the North not only had no idea this was coming, mm-hmm. they were seriously weakened at this stage of the war. Yes. As we've talked about, they had been severely damaged by the US and other UN troops that were there and the ROK too. During the course of the war, the US had gone from seriously underestimating right. the strength of the North to seriously overestimating the strength of the North. Yeah. Remember back in the beginning, Dougie Mack, when he first, when, when the uh, day trip by the North over the border first happened, over the parallel first happened, mm-hmm. uh, Dougie said, I can handle it with one arm tied <laughs> behind my back. Right. He told, and he told John Foster Dulles that if he only gave him the first cavalry division in Korea... Why, heavens, you'd see these fellows scuttle up to the Manchurian border so quick you'd see no more of them. Right. That was, in classic, uh, again, American uh, hubris. Yes. He was basically, uh, give me one division, one week. Yeah. That's all it's going to take. Condom. They're going to run for the hills. That's all I need. Yeah. <laughs> so it's literally like they are they are totally beneath me. I can barely see them. To they are superhuman. We barely stand a chance. Because yeah. they, they pushed all the way down to Pusan, so that, that basically the North Koreans had 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 uh, what established psychological dominance over them. The Americans are like, we're barely holding on, we're barely holding on, we're barely holding on, and they're they're assuming the other guys on the other side shooting at them are now somehow superhuman. And this Inchon thing is so crazy, but it's the only thing we've got that stands any chance of us surviving this because we're all about to be pushed into the water. So again, just these two two extremes, and that's what panic does for you. And with that kind of brilliant strategic mind that MacArthur had, that with one division he could win the battle in a week, it's easy to see why people may have been slightly sceptical about his plan for Inchon. Yeah, good call. Uh, Good. Yeah, a couple Good of months call. ago, yeah, you, said. you were telling me you needed one division in a week. <laughs> and now you've got... Now you're telling me... How many divisions? Yeah. 140,000 yeah. men plus are fighting. Yeah. yeah, so... Yeah, so... Make up your damn when mind. you tell us, hey, listen, this is uh, no big thing. Yeah. Uh, ain't no big thing. We're like... Uh, pretty big. It's pretty, it feels big. <laughs> feels big. Like she said, feels big. I don't know. I went there, but... 
Now, something I, wa- I, I, I want to remind everyone of, and I had to be reminded of this by one of the books I was reading. Right. We have to remember how racist Americans were at the time. Yeah. Like, um, like a lot of the guys that have formed the U.S. troops over there mm-hmm. um, coming out of segregated American society. Good point. Where Koreans were people of colour living, if they were living in the South, mm-hmm. uh, living in the US, where they were treated to apartheid-type restrictions, drinking from coloured fountains in yeah. Virginia. Right. Couldn't marry Caucasians Could, in the southern states. God, no. Couldn't own, couldn't own property in the western states. Right. This is in 1950. Mm-hmm. This was, you know, so you get a lot of sort of racist views who don't see people of colour as fully human. Exactly. Or, or equal to the whites. And so, no wonder, and, and, and obviously MacArthur seems to have been one of those, oh, at least. In yes. His, his, in, 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 made it, must have played part of his underestimation of the North Koreans in the first place. In the New York Times, when the war began, uh, Hanson Baldwin was a journalist. Good name. Good name. Yeah, yeah wrote... We are facing an army of barbarians in Korea, but they are barbarians as trained, as relentless, as reckless of life and as skilled in the tactics of the kind of war they fight as the hordes of Genghis Khan. They have taken a leaf from the Nazi book of Blitzkrieg and are employing all the weapons of fear and terror. He wrote this three weeks into the war. Right. Now, HR would have come in and said, I'm sorry, but you can't do the Genghis Khan and Nazi thing all in one statement. That's just, you cross too many lines. But, but basically what they're saying in that statement is all of the worst parts of humanity or examples of humanity, these are what these people embody. And, and so we have to wipe them out. But again, just, but you're right, they're subhuman but they're but animals barbarians barbarians but but barbarians can be dangerous too so where's the respect hmm. there isn't any until the americans start getting their ass handed to them hmm. but you know the Ameri- the not you know i don't want to paint all americans sure. with this brush obviously but uh, you know this is a guy writing in the new york times so uh, you know so the newspaper of record as it's called right so this must have been a fairly common view at the time and so it wouldn't just be the north koreans they would see as barbarians mm-hmm. but the south koreans they would have seen as barbarians as well but and the chinese our barbarians so yeah but you know when you're executing children and women in in train tunnels right if you think they're barbarians and they're not really humans, then it's easier. You know, it's like you're exterminating rats, right. like uh, yeah. Colonel, um, what's his face in uh, fucking shit, Tarantino's film. Uh, oh, oh, um, Brad Pitt, Hans, yeah, Colonel Hans. You know, the other guy, uh, 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 Christoph Waltz's character. Right. Oh, I Hans, loved him. Loved him. Not Hans Gruber. That's a different <laughs> cool movie. Die Hard? <laughs> yeah, no. But he's, he talks about... Right. He talk, he, when he's with, in the French guy's uh, 
house oh, at the yes. beginning of the movie. At the beginning. Inglorious Bastards. Yes. And he's talking about, uh, yeah, he's, he's, he hunts rats. The Jews are like rats and he's hunting rats. He's a rat killer. Right. You know, it's uh, his nickname is the Jew Hunter, which um, is, you know, is, I think your nickname is what? The uh, Jew Hammer. Is that right? Yes. Think, um, yes. It's it, it's uh, same same but different. Uh, different enough. <laughs> anyway, I'm uncomfortable. I'm, Go ahead. I can't. I can't really remember where the Jew hammer. When the, the Jew hammer. <laughs> when the, the Jew um, hammer. The There's pal driver. <laughs> the sledgehammer. The Jew hammer. <laughs> okay. Love the Jews. <laughs> My goal is to fuck so hard. Here I come, ladies. <laughs> My stage name, bitch. Well, who the fuck are you? I'm going to fuck them all. I'm going to fuck them all. Who's turned on? <laughs> Who's turned on by this rope that you can't see that I'm pulling? It's my penis. Hambo, Hambo, where you been? <laughs> I've lost the narrative. <laughs> <clears throat> According to... Um, uh, Wilfred Burchett, right. the Australian uh, lefty journalist who I've talked about before, mm. uh, the standing instructions of MacArthur to his Air Force were, anything that's moving, stop it. Anything that's stopped, move it. <laughs> I, I can follow those rules. Just two simple rules. He also supposedly gave the order any male person north of the battle line must be regarded as a legitimate target. Right. Now, I couldn't find those orders quoted anywhere else in my literature, Mm -hmm. only in Burchett. So uh, I'm not sure where he's getting it from, but I have to say that Burchett was obviously a highly credible uh, 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 journalist. Right. As we know, you know, he's reporting on Hiroshima, et cetera, et cetera, ahead of everybody else. So that, uh, you know, there's probably legitimate uh, orders there, mm-hmm. but seems to have been, seems to be missing from all of the other Korean War history books and MacArthur biographies, et cetera. Um, but, uh, you know, I don't know, when, when stories are getting around in the South that U.S. troops are executing hundreds of South Korean civilians right. under train lines, he's probably right. They probably were the enemy of all Koreans uh, by this stage. Um, yeah. He, you know, he went on record, MacArthur this is, as having issued the most barbarous military order ever issued in the so-called civilized world just every male person is a legitimate target shoot everything right anything that's moving stop it yeah. if it's true and again you also got to remember the uh, you got to put it in the context of the panic early on in the war where, what for the first two months or whatever it was the uh the allies were getting almost literally pushed off the peninsula if it wasn't for the general walker and his uh his tough attitude at Pusan, that would have happened so i guess you can have rules are nice in general but when you're really losing and it looks like you're going to go down are the rules in the way and so you remove them and then you pick them up back later when you are no longer losing that sounds familiar to me psychopathic yeah 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 yeah. but it it happens it happens but getting back to the point about their overestimation of the north koreans uh superiority Mm -hmm. um 
you know, right now, the opposite was true. At this stage, North Koreans' regiments were probably about 70,000 strong Mm -hmm. uh, against a total, as you said, of about 140,000 US and UN troops. Two to one. uh, In in the country. But they thought the North... It felt like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 So at this stage, the US possessed absolute command of the air and the sea, Mm -hmm. overwhelming superiority of firepower... And it seems like the North's intelligence operation was terrible too. Shit. The complete shit. <laughs> Sorry, that's that's the official category that it's in. Please continue. The operation to land at Inchon was the worst kept secret of the war, <laughs> so much so that operate that reporters were calling it Operation Common Knowledge. Right. Um, <laughs> and yet the North Koreans apparently had no knowledge of it. Right. There was no efforts to strengthen the communist defences around Incheon Mm -hmm. in the days before the Armada arrived there. There was about 2,000 poorly trained troops defending the harbour. For unknown reasons, they didn't even mine the port. Yeah. That's crazy. Defence 101. And so the first convoy of ships left Yokohama on the 5th of September. 260 or 261 ships Mm -hmm. set sail. That's some fucking armada. And they had about 70,000 men in those ships. Of course, now, before you get all excited and and decide to be impressed by that, just know that some of the people in those ships were just newly recruited and they had to be taught basic tactical training on the voyage while they're throwing up because they're seasick. Um, but still, it's a pretty impressive number. And when you throw that together with uh, who's a General Walker who's going to be pushing up from the south with 140,000 troops, again, this should not be the million dollar, or excuse me, the once in a million um, chance that it seems to be. But again, because the uh, the Americans were so panicked, they thought this, this was something that actually may not work. And if it did work, it's because maybe God himself had smiled down upon them. And by God himself, you mean Douglas MacArthur. MacArthur. Exactly. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. The one. Yeah. I mean, th- that's the big takeaway for me out of all of this mm-hmm. is it's still talked about today like it was, right. uh, uh, you know, a brilliant, brilliant strategy. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Really, it wasn't. It was pretty straightforward operation. <laughs> right. Um, if they'd had better intelligence on the weakness of the North Korean numbers and also the North Korean intelligence, yeah. it would have been a lay-down mazaire. Everyone would be like, yeah, fuck, yeah. landed in of course. That's what yeah. we'll do. Yeah. Makes total sense, right? <laughs> but at the time, they didn't know those things, so it seemed like it was crazy, bold, risky move. In reality, it, it wasn't. This Another D-Day. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now, these this 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 armada of ships sounds impressive. The ships themselves, not so much. They were old, <laughs> rusty ships. That were literally falling apart. Antiques. They were antiques. Yeah. Yeah, so. Some of the ships, tanks and vehicles broke loose. People are running around on the decks trying to re-secure them while they're smashing around on the cargo decks. They hit a typhoon, which was creating 125 miles per hour wind. Jesus. Everyone's seasick. So just imagine 70,000 troops crammed below deck. Throwing up on each other yes. everywhere. That's hot. While 
learning basic learning how to load a rifle <laughs> and fire it, which end that you point at the bad guys. Um, like yeah. just clusterfuck a potential. Clusterfuck. Yes. Yeah. Complete clusterfuck. Oh. Imagine. Like sailing for days and days in those conditions, mm-hmm. sick as a dog, then you land and everyone's like, right, now run, get off and run up run. the beach and shoot yeah, guys. That's right. Fuck Ugh. you. Ugh. And that is why we are podcasters. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, Mike, I've told you this story before, but my great-grandfather was a Gallipoli. Really? Landed at Gallipoli. Right. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and survived. Good. Um, only to commit suicide uh, years later. But um, Jesus, you know it. Uh, so that I figure one beach landing is enough in my For family. You're done. That's, check yeah, check yeah, that we, off. We've, we've done our bit. Right. Yeah, we've done our bit. I got you. Yeah. <laughs> so on Wednesday, September thirteenth, four Allied cruisers entered Incheon Harbor. Mm-hmm. And U.S. destroyers came in around it to shoot shit up. Yes. But I think that's where we'll have to leave this episode because I think we've done sort of over an hour now. So shooting ship shit up is where we'll leave off. All right. (laughs) Take care, buddy. All right, you too. Descended across the continent.